It can feel scary to surrender. There's the misconception that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender means giving up, that if I surrender, I won't manifest my goals, dreams, or desires. If I surrender, I'm going to be a doormat. I'm going to be left behind. I'm going to get less in life. And, and I'm actually saying, no, if you really understand the real essence of surrender in the truest sense, like what if you didn't get less, but what if you got more? Like more than you could have intended and planned with the limited perception of your own ego mind that is addicted to control. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Coot Blackson, is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He speaks at countless events he organizes around the world, as well as outside events, including A-Fest, YPO, and EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. He's been featured in Inc. Magazine on Larry King Live, or Larry King's Now Show, uh, Dr. Drew, NPR, Fox & Friends, Mind Body Green, many more. He's got a great mm -hmm. interview with Tom Bilyeu, who I didn't tell you this, Coot, but I just interviewed Tom live in Tahoe last week. Um, your interview with him on, on uh, Impact Theory was fantastic, and you are the author. He is the author of Magic, The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. I love this topic, and I can't wait to dive in. Coot. Welcome. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Let's start with this. Um, surrender. So I, I've, I've heard you say, and I think it's so true, it's the easiest thing and the hardest thing in the world to do all at the same time. Help me with this concept because I get the idea. It's like when you're, you reference it in your book, like if you were to run up to the cockpit in a plane and demand to get in there to control the control the plane going where it's going to go, that's that's what we tend to do when really we need to just sort of sit back and enjoy the ride at times, right? But the pragmatic or logical part of me is wondering, like, how, how do I just surrender and still gain, you know, momentum toward whatever it is I'm trying to achieve? So I want to start there. Like, why is it so, or how is it so easy, but so hard to surrender? How does somebody surrender and trust, I guess, this, this, you know, magic formula, surrender and trust. How do I do uh, that without losing money or status or momentum toward wherever I'm trying to go? I think it's a, it's a very valid question. I think it's a very real question. Um, and real fear that we have, you know, I think in our culture, look, first, I just want to say like right now, you and I, we're sitting here and you're breathing and I'm breathing. It's happening mm -hmm. in spite of us. We're not sitting here going, breathe, 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 breathe. It's just happening, right? You had breakfast this morning, you ate something, you drank something, and somehow your body is processing and digesting it in spite of you. How is it that your, you know, your hand doesn't turn into a, into a banana or cereal or, you know, a piece of toast? There's an intelligence inside. And so even without you doing something, the process of your body is happening. It's just unfolding. There are trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of cells inside that are orchestrating a flow of movement and intelligence inside of your body you cut your finger your you cut your hand you know your your hand knows how to heal itself you don't have to pray meditate 
do something special. I mean, for the most part, unless it's really broken, but you don't have to do anything. There's an intelligence that it just it knows what to do. And somehow I think in our modern day culture, we have disconnected from this innate intelligence that is inside of us. And I think so much of the suffering uh, in our lives comes from that, that seeming disconnection. And so it can feel scary to surrender, I think, in many ways. Um, look, surrender, just to set the context, there's the misconception. I think that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that Surrender means giving up, right? The things you said, that if I surrender, I won't manifest my goals, dreams, or desires. Uh, if I surrender, I'm going to be a, taken advantage of. I'm going to be a doormat. I'm going to be left behind. I'm going to get less in life. And, and I'm actually saying, no, if you really understand the real essence of surrender in the truest sense, like what if you didn't get less, but what if you got more? Like more than you could have intended and planned with the limited perception of your own ego mind that is addicted to control. I think control is the master addiction. And so like, what if you got more? And so yes, surrender is a letting go of control. Yeah. Uh, or I should say the illusion of control. True. Uh, uh, I think in many ways, the last few years have maybe shown us we're not as in control as we thought of this process of life. Surrender is when we stop trying to, I would say, force and manipulate life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be and who we think we should be and how we think people should be and how we think the world should be. It's a letting go of force and tapping into a way of living that is more in harmony with life. So it's about flow. And so it doesn't mean doing nothing. And so surrender is when you give up the, the, the attachment to the idea of who you think you should be, how you think life should be, so that you can be open and available. And you take the limitations off of life so that you're open and available to the, 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 the shall we say, the, the most highest unfolding that is seeking to happen in a given moment. And so many times... We don't realize that in trying to force and control and make things happen and, and, and force things to be what they're not, but we want them to be because we want them to be because just that's just what we want. We're, we're limiting life. And sometimes you might get what you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted is just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. You know, And often in an effort to control, we set goals and dreams and desires that are projections of unmet needs from our childhood. And even when we attain it, it's not really satisfying. And so there's an old, I would say, ego-based model or ego-based paradigm for living and creating life. And I really think that the last few years of this COVID thing, whatever we want to call it, whatever people's beliefs are, but whatever it is on whatever level, on a spiritual level at least, I see that there is a, as a humanity, I think we are being initiated into a whole new consciousness and a whole new way of living, moving from the ego-based model of living life, which is all about know what you want, make it happen, drive, force, push, you know, and, and there's a place for that. And I think you can manifest from that place. You can create a really good life. But often I found that in the long run, it's often limiting. Because when you 
create from the level of the ego and the level of the personality alone and the personality and the ego, which is conditioned by the past and history and childhood, the ego is not able to see the infinite possibilities in a situation, the infinite you know, options of what is seeking to happen, the highest possibility of what's seeking to happen. So when you create life from the ego, like this is what should be, it's got to be like this, we're not able to see the, the, the sort of bigger unfolding of what's seeking to happen. And so I think it leads to limitation. It's like, mm. you look at Mandela. Should he not have spent 27 years in prison? Should yeah. he have not? I'm sure he didn't put on his goal list you know, on his vision board, yeah, I'm going to spend 27 years in prison. And no, I'm sure that was not even in his plan, in his idea, but should he have not? What if he didn't spend 27 years in prison? Would he have become the Mandela? Would he have developed the consciousness, the forgiveness, the compassion, the vision, the understanding, the sensitivity, the forgiveness that enabled him to tap into the greatness of his being so that when he came out, you know, 27 years later, he was able to sustain the vision that he was given and become the person that could hold the vision. So should he have not? And so I think that there is a different way of living. And to me, it's a different question. And so in surrender, it's not that you don't manifest. And that's the fear. Oh, it won't happen. Yeah. Things won't happen. But you know, I think that anyone who was truly great, Mandela, Jesus, Buddha, Elon Musk, even, you know, people might say, what the heck, what hell does Elon Musk have to do with surrender? Well, a guy who gets $2 million, $200 million in PayPal money, and then rather than going off riding into the sunset, invest everything into Solar City and Tesla and, you know, following his calling, that's yeah. a form of surrender, you know. Uh, uh, Oprah, uh, Man, uh, Martin Luther King, right? Um, yeah. Gandhi, uh, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, anyone truly great in their own unique way at some point surrendered themselves to a calling that was bigger than themselves. 100%. Let, let, me, let me ask this. I love the example of a hand cut. I like that a lot. Like you said, you yeah. get a cut in your hand, it's going to heal itself. You don't do anything typically, right? But if the, what you were saying, if the cut is bad enough, then there has to be something done to sort of aid in the healing process, like stop the bleeding or, or put sure. a bandage or whatever. Right. So I liken that. Uh, let's make this really, really like really real. So for me, I, I left a corporate gig a couple of years ago and went full on into entrepreneurship. Right. Like at a 42 years old, making a few hundred grand a year, I made that leap. I I surrendered because I was I was in resistance, something you yep. talk about uh, us living most of our life in. So if you're a person right now listening to this podcast or whatever, and you're saying, okay, I get surrender maybe in terms of the cut on the hand. Like if I, if I stop trying to force the action, you know, like the next thing will come along, if you will. Well, but yeah, good. So, so the question I, I wanted to give people to ask themselves, like, what, what, what do you do? Right. And so it's a shift from what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? Yeah. And, and, and I'm inviting people to ask themselves a different question as a beginning point. And that question, which might tap into what you're speaking to, yeah, probably, is, yeah. is feeling into, okay, what is, what, what is life seeking to express through me? What is the next, what, what, is, what is my soul seeking to express? What is that next level 
of my being seeking to express, you know, for those that believe in God, what is the divine, the universe, the infinite? What is life seeking to express? What is the deepest truth that is seeking to express through me? For you as leaving your corporate job and going into this vision of entrepreneurship, you could have resisted that. Resisting that is suffering. And I think so many of us suffer because we're resisting the deeper impulse of what life is seeking to express through us. And we play small. And I think when we resist surrendering, to the deeper calling, the deeper calling that is seeking to express, that's what makes us miserable. That's what makes us sick. That's what makes us frustrated. And so the question becomes, what is it that life is seeking to express in you? What is it the universe is seeking to express? And to listen to that, to, to be obedient, to tune into that, to say yes to that. And as you align with that, then you can go in that direction. Then you can align your thoughts, your strategy, your goal setting, your business planning, your marketing, your PR, your money, your resources in the direction of what's authentic. You can go in that direction and give him, here's the key, give 100%, give 100% to the deeper calling that you feel, because I think the next level of one's life will require the next level of you. The next level of you is going to require that you let go of what's no longer aligned. But many of us, we hold on to what's no longer feeling right, out of comfort, out of safety, out of familiarity. So when you give 100%, so people think surrender is doing nothing. No, it means when you feel, when you catch the deeper vision, when you're honest and authentic about the deeper vision and you say yes and you give 100% to that, go. you might work harder than you've ever worked. You might, you know, have no vacations. You might, you, you, you know... It might require more, more sacrifices than you've ever, you know, sacrificed in your life. But the key is to do it without the attachment to the outcome, without the attachment to the result. Like, this person has to be my soulmate. This, this, this goal has to be the goal. It has to look this way. You give 100% whilst remaining open and available. Because when we get so attached to it's got to be this thing and this has to be the outcome, we're limiting the life. We're limiting limiting the universe. We're not able to be flexible and pivot and course correct. And, you know, success is never a straight line. And I think sometimes the goal is not the goal, even though it seems that way from this perspective. We set a goal, but I think goals are evolutionary. I think sometimes the goal takes us on the necessary journey 100%. so that we can learn and grow and evolve. And sometimes the goal isn't the goal. It just takes us on the journey so that we can grow into the person that is actually capable of fulfilling the bigger vision that we have. But when we get so attached to the goal, maybe life is pivoting us to the right, but we're like, no, 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 no. It's got to be this. And maybe it's not meant to be that, but it's just meant to be the growth and the learning that we were meant to go on in that process. And so I think surrendering is is key because if we're not surrendered we just get so attached and then we miss the we miss the bigger we miss the bigger unfolding of life you know yeah. when to me the great ones uh, I reference these great ones I'm sure many of them didn't think their life was going to unfold how it unfolded I'm pretty sure that Martin Luther King didn't imagine what was going to happen for him I'm sure Mother Teresa had a completely different plan for her life, but they had to surrender to their soul's calling. They had to, and I think when 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 they surrendered, truly said, "Okay, I'm I'm open to what I feel more truthfully, more deeply inside of me." When they surrendered, I think they were able to transcend their human 
limitations and tap into a deeper dimension of themselves, a deeper dimension of their potential. And I think that's when, in many ways, life, you know, this intelligence, life was able to use them and speak through them and move through them. And that's when life manifested through them. And I think they were able to manifest more, more, not less, more than they could have planned and intended of their own human willpower. But but it can feel scary. And we can go into that, you know, in terms of why surrender feels scary if you want. But, uh, you know, well, stuff. maybe it's asked a different, I, I completely align with everything you just said. And and it's funny, I, I um, there's a couple of thoughts that come up here. And it's like you mentioned about, you know, the outcome, not being attached to the outcome. Um, I always say, like, you know, have a vision. Like the vision, I think for me is what you're talking about, like tap in and really come become yes, attached yes. with like, what's this, what, where am I being called to? Like, that's your vision. Don't put all the how in your vision, right? Like, I just know that this is what I feel called to, right? And then you set goals in the short term, understanding that they may pivot. Right. You might mm-hmm. think that this is the path to that vision, but it's not. It ends up being this if you're open, if mm-hmm. you're open. I feel like for me, and I don't know if the word, I don't know if I, you may have used it in your book. I'm not sure, but I don't know if this word resonates with you, but I feel like to me, there's something to do with frequency here, you know, like radio waves almost, right? Like, like to be tuned in to figure out what that calling mm-hmm. is. So, so I always struggle explaining that part. Like what you said makes 100% sense to me. Like the idea of surrendering to what you're being called to actually brings the bigger and better results for your life. I've experienced that, but the question that's always asked, Uh I get, and I haven't really explained it. I think this might be where you're going with why it's so hard. You tell me is how do I, how do I like peel back all the layers that are over that little voice in me? telling me where I'm supposed to go, like that, that inner call, like, how do I hear it without putting Mm -hmm. all of the conditioning and all the shit that I put in my brain, like the, you know, like all this, all this, uh, you mentioned ego or whatever it is, but how do I tap into that voice and not all of a sudden layer on logic to try to explain why, Oh, but that doesn't make sense because that can't happen for me or whatever. Like, how do I just feel that? Is there a way? Yeah. I've never been able to explain well, that. So. I don't, you know, there's not one cookie cutter answer. I wish right. I could say it was boom. It was, yeah, it's sure. not because, because <laughs> on one level, you know, it what prevents us from being in tune and in touch with that deeper sense is the, lay, is the mind and the layers of our conditioning, which yeah. we'll talk about in a second. And so the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're actually not necessarily in touch with that deeper truth. Mm. Right. And and so as children, we're in touch with that deeper truth, then we lose touch with that deeper truth. And so so one thing that it does require on a holistic level is to do the mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological, therapeutic work within ourselves to uncondition ourselves. Right. Uh, to do the healing so that we can connect more deeply with our essence rather than the layers of our conditioning and live from that place. I so that's that. a. That yeah. is, a, and there's no way to like hack your way there because that right. is an authentic life process. That is the process of life and the degree to which we transcend those layers and get in touch with a deeper dimension of who we really are beyond our conditioning. We'll start hearing and sensing our truth more and we'll be able to follow that. So that's a life path in and of itself. The other thing is I think 
in our culture, we're so busy and so addicted to the business, yeah. the, the business of being busy, 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 that we're not able to necessarily hear our truth because we're so busy running around. And sometimes we're actually afraid to be still because deep down we're afraid that shit, if I'm still, then I might actually hear my truth. And actually I'm afraid of what my truth is because I sense of what my truth is. I have an intuition of what my truth is. Maybe my, my corporate job isn't right, but I don't want to hear that because (laughs) if I actually be still and do nothing, I might actually get in touch with this is no longer working. So if I'm just busy, 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 I don't actually have to acknowledge the deeper truth that my corporate job's not working. I don't have to acknowledge the deeper truth that I'm no longer in love with my wife. I don't have to acknowledge the deeper truth that mm, I've been betraying myself or I need to get out of of this situation. And so we create so much movement and, and, and activity around us. And so one thing I would just say is create spaces and times in your life, in your day, where you can just be still to listen. One of the things on a practical level, and then we can maybe touch on the nature of the ego, that it requires to to, to really get, get in touch with your truth. If you become still, you will feel a very gentle, subtle flow. And you will feel like, hmm, life is kind of like moving in this direction. And, and you can force it, but mm, things aren't lining up. It's kind of moving in this direction. If you be still and you tune in to the frequency and you listen. And I think one of the things that keeps us stuck as human beings are all the lies that we tell ourselves. In so many ways, we are constantly lying to ourselves about who we are, what we want, what we feel. Why? Because, because we're conditioned. That's that's. Let's just stop there. Let's so let's go deeper. Then you ask yeah, why. Please. Yeah. Box. So let's do it. <laughs> so, so in terms of surrender, why I would let's just say the ego, mm. the ego, the ego is what we have been conditioned to believe ourselves to be. This, you know. Jamie, Coot, Johnny, Susie, this this character that we really have believed ourselves to be and it's been reinforced by life. Ego is not a thing. And it's not good or bad, by the way. Ego is a necessary vehicle that we need to function in this physical dimension. But ego is not a thing. It's a process. It's a process of identification. So the degree to which we identify ourselves as this body, this mind, this name, history, experiences, childhood, memories, traumas, you know, uh, successes and failures from the past, the degree to which we identify as all those beliefs is the degree to which we are locked into a prison of ego. And most of us have been conditioned to believe that we are this and we are the ego. And so from that place, the ego's job is to reinforce its existence. No doubt, man. I love and that. The, and the ego's job is to, with good intention, yeah. and I'll explain why, I'll break it down, to keep you safe, to make, to protect you, to make sure you don't get hurt again like you were hurt when you were five, like you were hurt when you were six, like you were hurt when you were 10, 
with mom and dad and things that may have happened in childhood. And so the ego gets created as an often unconscious response, survival mechanism to the environment and experiences. And so now we become fused as this person, as this personality. And so the ego's job is to reinforce its existence, to keep you safe. So the ego naturally does not want to change. The ego wants everything and everyone else around to change, but yeah. it doesn't want to change. No because shit. change, acknowledging the truth, getting in touch with it, questioning yourself, transforming yourself, reinventing yourself, healing yourself, surrendering for the ego, your perceived sense of self, what you think you are that you're not really, but it's what you think you are. For the ego, feels like a death. You say, let go. Oh, shit. That feels like <laughs> I am going to die. You say, right. surrender. One of the ways the ego reinforces itself is constant doing, constant activity, constant do. And, and, and the perception that if I am in control, I exist. If I am constantly in activity, I exist as a separate ego identity. And if I'm in control of everything, if I can control the environment, control the government, control the weather, control my spouse, control my kids, control my, you know, my pet goldfish, control everything around me, then I'm not going to get hurt again. And so the reason I say that it feels hard is because the ego resists. And so resistance, and most of us as human beings are unconsciously resisting our entire lives. We're resisting our deeper truth. We're resisting who we truly are. We're resisting our magnificence. We're, we're resisting change because the identity of who we think we are is what we're afraid to let go of because it feels like a death. We're afraid of dying. And so when we're born, just to maybe back up and then come forward, when we're born as children, we're surrendered. You know, this is why I say at, at, at our true nature, our true nature is to be surrendered. You know, a true natural essence is surrender. In fact, I think surrender is, is easy and natural because right now I'm holding a pen, I'm making a fist. This 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 tightening fist uh, uh, visual for those uh, listening, I'm holding a fist, I'm holding a pen, I'm tightening this fist. It starts feeling hard. But if I do this long enough, this is the process of conditioning, if I do this long enough, it starts feeling normal. So when mm. I say let go, Surrender, let go. It's like, it's the easiest thing. It's yeah. the most normal thing. But because I've become so used to holding on and protecting, it feels difficult. And so as children, we're free. We're in touch with the essence of who we are. We're in touch with our true nature. We're perfect, whole, complete. A child will cry. A child will laugh. A child will sing, jump on the table. They're in the flow. They're in the surrender. They're just surrendered to the moment. So what happens is, we incarnate into this human experience. We meet our parents. Maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom's an alcoholic. Maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe they don't know how to meet our emotional needs. So two things happen in terms of the creation of the ego. First thing is we learn all sorts of strategies, survival strategies to shut down, disconnect, not feel, suppress, 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 layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of unfelt feeling get, get built up. Our true essence, our true light gets hidden underneath these this mountain of unfelt feeling and emotion. And we start creating a survival mechanism to not feel the pain of 
disappointment, not feel the pain of abandonment. And we hold so tightly to this way of being. We erect walls in our heart to not feel that dad isn't around, that that mom and dad are fighting all the time, that the divorce, the dysfunction, the abuse. And so now we're in this defensive, you know, survival posture as a way of being. And that becomes who we think we are. Now we're controlling our feelings, controlling our emotions to not to not feel the pain. So we hold tightly to that. Then we move into life and the sense of like, who do I need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval? And so we yeah. start again, contorting ourselves into a kind of shape, a person, a version of ourselves in order to get love, validation, and approval. Yeah. We become the nice guy. We become the independent person. We become the responsible one. We become the caretaker. We become the, you know, the one that doesn't care. We become the emotionally disconnected. Whatever, we start developing a role, a mask, a persona to get love, validation, approval. We contort ourselves into the shape. And this becomes who we think we are. And the degree to which we're conditioned, and that's ego. And the degree to which we're conditioned in this shape and pattern as Coot, as Jamie, as Susie, as John, is the degree to which we're not free. But the degree to which we're identified and conditioned in that is the degree to which we are afraid of surrender and the degree, the degree to which we are afraid of telling the truth. Because to acknowledge the truth in terms of how do I really feel, to acknowledge the truth in terms of who am I really and what's really going on feels scary because if I really acknowledge the truth, then... I might have to feel some things. Mm. I might get hurt again. I might get hurt again like I was hurt back then. If I really surrender and let go, I might lose control and bad things might happen like it did back then. And so there is this fear, this natural fear of letting go. And so what people can do is first understand that who you are is not necessarily who you are. It's a set of pattern, patterns and programs. And who you are is not the ego. And if you can start to observe the, 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 the patterning, your conditioning, to become aware of your conditioning, because the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free, to just start observing your conditioning, to get in relationship with your conditioning, to witness it. But then when you can understand that it's, resistance is natural, then you can begin to, shall we say, embrace, to become aware, but also embrace your resistance. So part of a step in surrender mm. is even embracing your resistance, is embracing and welcoming that you're not surrendered and understanding why you're not surrendered because there's a positive intention to keep you safe. So when you can start to meet your resistance and fear and terror, like, I feel this thing, but no. I feel to leave my job, but no. I'm feeling this thing, but no. When you can actually meet your resistance with love and meet your resistance with compassion and hold your resistance with kindness and gentleness, that actually brings you into relationship with what's there, with the deeper truth. When you can meet your truth with compassion, like I'm no longer in love with my wife and not resist that and mm. just hold that. You don't have to take action. But just to hold hold that, right? So when you can hold the resistance with compassion, then what starts happening is the part of you, the ego that is resisting, can begin to relax. 
And then you can get in touch with the deeper truth that's underneath that. And then you can start working with that. This is something that's been coming up for me. It's funny, like recently, and I, I think you kind of answered it, but I'll, I'll talk through it for a moment anyway sure. and just see if you have any thoughts on it. But, you know, I had this revelation that the persona, the ego that I built is protecting the fourth grader that was bullied heavily, you know, beaten, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And the way I show up, the way I get validation, love, and respect, as you talked about, was achievement, is yep. achievement. So as a dad, as a husband, the persona that I've taken on, the ego that that has been driving everything that I do is um, achieve, make money, protect that way. Even though, even though what my wife and my kids have been saying, but my ego is blocking it, is just be present with us. Like we don't care about, we don't care about the material uh, uh, success. We don't care about having more material wealth. We care about just you know being with you and and being part of of your life or whatever, right? But that kid, that nine year old kid, yeah, yeah. who was abused, built these yes. big walls, yes, and I've been yes. validated and loved yes. and respected by developing a sense of humor that's ball busting. That's to, that by developing a, a persona that achieves and that achievement gets me validation. People, wow, Jamie, you're killing it. Right. And I love that because it's like, I'm not going to be beat up by anybody. Right. right? right I'm telling that inner right, child that. Right, so I, right. to your point about seeing the resistance, like I just went through this with my wife. We've been working a lot on this. Yes, I just went yes. through this, this sort of surrender of, okay. <laughs> I, I can put this down a little bit, right? Like you said, it's part of you. It's not like it goes away, but I can yeah. see it. I could be aware of it. How do I avoid backsliding though? That's my fear. So, 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 so I think what's important is it's not like you're never going to be in there. Right. And it's not yeah. like you have to like kill that part of you because right, right, right. you, know, like, you, you still, can't, you, you still can't. want access to that part of you when needed yep. to be able to, make things happen in the world to be able to, you know, create to manifest. But what's important is your relationship with it. Because when you're so identified and locked into that persona all the time, much mm. of the time, then it, it, it's kind of like this, this uh, maybe a bad analogy, but it's like, imagine you go to a party, right? And a DJ plays music. No matter what music the DJ plays, reggae, you know, Calvin Harris, Tiesto, Beyonce, you got you only have the same two dance moves. <laughs> and that's it. No matter salsa and and there's Jamie doing the same two dance moves, no matter what happens in your wife's. It's actually kind of true. Right? Yeah. Is that is that all you've got? And 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 so and so when we're locked in, then we don't have the flexibility and the freedom to respond to life any other way. It's just one move there's just uh, one move wow. and and so that one move is good for that one for that it's it's like that tool is good for the operation in that one place but it doesn't mean we live our entire life that way and that becomes a limitation so what's important is not like getting rid of ego or getting rid of personas it's developing a spacious relationship with them so that you're not the identification and the grip and the holding on is what's important so when you can have some space and to start observe it when you have some space and you observe ah oh, i see this part of me then in that spaciousness is the freedom because if you can observe it you're not it and then you can actually meet that part of you with gratitude, 
and meet that part of you with loving and meet that part of you with, with thanks and appreciation. Like, thank you for doing what you thought you needed to do in order to keep me safe. But now you can begin to develop a new relationship with that part. So that part doesn't have to be running the show all the time. And that's more the issue, you know, and sometimes people think I have to annihilate the ego. I have to kill this part of me. No, but we just get to, to bring this part back into wholeness, bring this part back into our hearts so that we can also now have access to more of a full range of ourselves rather than just this one aspect all the time. So the relationship with it is key. And so I would say, embrace that part, speak to that part, love that part, hold that part, because it's love. Love is the healing is the application of love to those parts of you that are hurting. And that's a part of you that's hurting. And when you bring loving and compassion and gratitude and like, thank that part, because it did keep you safe back then. It's just now isn't then. So it doesn't have to do what it did then all the time now. Then you can still have access to it, but then have access to other parts of you as well, which is what you want. Amazing. So I, I want to tap into your story. I got a bunch of questions. We could go a while because sure. I love this topic and everything. But I want to tap into like what's your what's your journey to this revelation for you? Like what's the backstory? How did you arrive at this yeah. at this place? Because the way you just explained the relationship with the ego, no bullshit. It's probably the best explanation and i've done so people who listen to the show i've done psilocybin retreats i've done constellation mm -hmm. healing i've done a lot of work on the ego and i'm amazed that recently i'm still like still finding out more and more and peeling these layers back it's like a lifelong journey obviously but yeah, yeah. how about you what is your how did you arrive at this place uh -huh. of understanding this for you give us the story well, I mean, that, that's a whole nother 17 hours, but <laughs> <laughs> in the condensed but, but, form, yeah, yeah in, a, in a condensed <laughs> form. Um, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London um, and live in the U.S. now. So I feel like I'm from everywhere and yeah. nowhere. And I think maybe that was a part of a gift, too, because I felt like I was like, what am I? I'm nothing and everything. You know, am I black? Am I... Japanese? Am I British? Am I American? Am I, I I'm every, you know, I'm everything and nothing. And so right. I think that was a part of the maybe loosening of my identity, you know? And, and so you know, as a young boy, I, I, I was a very sensitive kid. So I always felt, I felt people's pain very deeply. And there was a part of me that always wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And so my, my upbringing which maybe set the context for what I'm doing now in a degree to a degree. Like my first memories were, I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor on the, on the ground. And she picks up the sand that this man walks on and wipes it on her face and stands up, call it a miracle. Yeah. You know, uh, the same man who sand she picked up will look at uh, a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? you're not sick, stand up and he put his hands on them or, or, or look at a person with crutches and say, hey, throw your crutches away and put his hands on them. So this man was my father. And I grew up around, uh, around miracles, you know, literally day, out, like day in, day out. And, and my father was considered 
My father built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, built a huge church in London, about four to 5,000 people in the 80s at its height, and was considered a miracle man and a miracle man of Africa and was in his own way, was a great man, had his own imperfections and limitations and which contributed to my, my pain and conditioning. But, but he, he, he had his, he, he had his greatness, you know? And so when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. And when I was age 14, I was ordained as a minister and literally kind of pronounced the successor to my father. And my entire life was basically planned out for me. My entire life was scripted for me. And I knew when it was announced that this was not my path, the church, religion was not my path. I was a very spiritual kid. My father was a very spiritual man, but I was too afraid to tell the truth. I was too, my fear was if I speak my truth and I tell my father how I feel, and then there's, hundreds of thousands of people like looking up to me as a young boy and and hopes and dreams pinned on me i'm going to disappoint everyone and so i grew up trying to be the perfect son the perfect kid the healer the the responsible one the caretaker you know the holy one and and so disconnecting from my own humanity in so many ways to just fit this image of what people wanted me to be and on one level it was great on one level there was a deep conflict inside of me because so for four years I had this internal conflict and but when I turned 18 and at this point I had I think my my spiritual journey began because I I would sneak into my father's office and read hundreds of self-help books that he had on his shelf spirit eastern mystics western mystics and so I began at at a young age trying to like understand like why do I feel how I feel and how do I deal with these feelings? And, and, and what is life? And what's the purpose of life? And what am I here to do? And I don't feel I'm here to do this thing, but what am I here to do? And so at 17 and a half, I felt this strong, undeniable calling to come to the US mm-hmm. and come to America because all of the self-help authors I'd read about, uh, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, they all live in Southern California. <laughs> and so I thought this has to be the Mecca. That's and, it. And, and so I think, you know, Sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient or or doesn't always make sense to your mind. But I think many times we, because of our conditioning, we talk ourselves out of this deeper knowing. We constantly try to, and this is another form of control. We try to overanalyze everything because we feel if I can analyze and control and understand everything, then I'll be safe. And it's not necessarily the case. And so that's one way we disconnect from our deeper truth and intuition. And so my soul was calling me to the US and I so I had to surrender to it. And part of how, how I did that was for four years, I literally had to gre- make peace with and grieve the loss of my relationship with my father. And it was in the acknowledging the truth, which was, this is not my path. Like I saw that I could take over my father's church, be the next guy, be successful by everyone else's standards. But when I projected into my future, I saw if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my own integrity, what kind of success is that? And, And I just felt like the potential pain that if I start lying to myself now, I'm going to have to lie to myself for the rest of my life. And that was painful. And so 
I just started to acknowledge the truth. And so I began to grieve the relationship with my father and make peace with, if I go down the path of my soul, I will probably lose the relationship with my father. And so I grieved it. And there was a deep heartbreak, uh, a deep grieving, a deep sadness. Um, But I made peace, you know, somehow I got to the place where I made peace with that. I would never have a relationship with him again. I went to the extreme end. Did that happen? So, so when I, when, when I finally made peace with that, in, that, sure. that, what felt like an inevitability for me, yeah, I was 17 and a half, maybe almost 18. And I said, now I need to have a conversation with my father because I'm finishing high school and I'm not going to university. So time is up. <laughs> and I was terrified. And I sat with him. My father's old school. You know, he's someone you don't, have a conversation with this, my way or my way, you choose. Mm. And and so <laughs> we talked and the conversation went something like, dad, I don't think I can take over. He says, are you sure? I said, yes. He says, are you sure? I said, yes. And that was it. We didn't speak for two years. Wow. And, and that was, you know, as a young kid, that was devastating, really devastating for me. But honestly, man, I knew that, I knew I was on the right path. I knew, even though I couldn't see it and I couldn't touch it and I had no proof, I knew that some, that, that frequency, something was pulling me and it was bigger than me. And I could have denied it. I could have. I mean, I had a choice, so to speak. But when I, when I, when I followed the feeling, it, it, it was bigger than me. And, and so it would have taken more resistance to deny the truth of what I felt. And so... And I really believe that when you follow your soul, and I've seen and I've proven this in my life. So for me, the, the magic of showing the book is not just some theory I, I wrote about. It's what I've lived the last 20 years. I believe that when you follow your soul, you will always be guided in the right place, in the right time, with the right people, even though the route that you take may not be the one you most expect. And so to cut a long story short, hmm. you know, an 18-year-old kid with no college degree, no knows has no family support except his mother, knows no no money, no knows no one in the US. Prospects for life aren't good. And I said to the universe, I said to God, okay, God, if this shit is real, everything I've read about, all this self-help stuff that I believe, I need to know if this stuff works now. I have put my, I have surrendered everything. I have nothing and I've surrendered everything, but I feel I'm on the path. So you show me, like, show me the way. And a week later, I was in my school library. <clears throat> Someone hands me a magazine called The Economist. Never read it. I feel chills. You know, to me, these are the clues. Sometimes the clues from the universe doesn't come in like a loud siren bell. Sometimes the clues of the universe come in the gentle sensations in your body the gentle whispers, the gentle nudgings, the gentle conversations with people around you that you would almost not notice if you weren't paying attention. So when someone hands me this this magazine, I felt like something was weird, something was a bit odd in the sensation. And I looked through it and I saw in the back of this magazine, the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew, like, oh shit, something is something is up here. And longer story short, I ended up winning 
the green card, the green card lottery. And that's what enabled me to come to the U.S. with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket. Uh, as an 18 year old, 18 and a half year old kid, knew, knew no one, landed in Venice Beach, Los Angeles, literally knew nobody and just started following my guidance, you know, started following my, my internal intuition and saw things happen that shouldn't have happened. Saw things that life guiding me in ways that I could not even have planned and explain to you. And then I, you know, I went and found mentors, you know, Jack Canfield. I went and found, you know, Deepak Chopra. I went and found many of the authors I'd read about, studied with some of them, learned from some of them, went to some of the seminars. And then I traveled to a few years later, after I was here a couple of years, I traveled to Israel yeah. and, you know, studied with some rabbis and walked the path of Jesus, studied, went to Thailand, studied with some monks, ended up in India. And for me, yeah. it was the time in India that cracked me open. And so there's so much that happened inside of that in terms of my own internal healing and unraveling of my own ego identity that that that's that whole process of my own journeys is kind of how I got to this point. And you explain it so well in the book, The Magic of Surrender. So I recommend everybody pick it up, honestly. But with your dad, real quick, cleaning that yeah. up a bit, yeah. two years, how did two he years. come back into your life? How did that be? Or wow, did wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a journey with my father. Um, so I'm 21 years old, you know, in the US a few years. My dad and I aren't speaking. I hate my dad at this point. I'm like, F him. Um, you know, he's not there for me, never there for me, never got me, felt totally unsupported. And uh, my girlfriend at the time said, look, I think you have some anger issues to, towards your dad. And I said, thank you very much. This relationship is over. Bye. And and that was the wow. end of that relationship with her. I mean, I was that angry, but I didn't even, I wasn't even conscious of it, right? Ego, right? Ego, ego pure ego, P protection. trying to yeah. keep me safe. Yeah. And I fall in love with another woman. She's like, I think you got some anger issues towards your dad. I'm like, no, this time, because I loved her. I thought, <laughs> I don't want to lose this girl. If I, if I don't <laughs> deal with this stuff, I might have to break up. And so, right. so that, that began at a young age, a deep healing journey where I went to therapy every week. I was doing retreats every week at, you know, 21, 20 years old. And I went to this men's seminar. And, you know, guys in, in, in the forest, you know, for the weekend. Uh, and I got in touch for the first time with my anger towards my father. I allowed myself to feel my anger towards my father. Mm. And I realized that I wasn't wanting to feel my anger towards my father because I also didn't want to feel the love that was underneath the anger. I didn't want to acknowledge the love because to feel the love I felt would be too painful to acknowledge yeah. the love because I felt unloved by him. And, and so my anger was a safety mechanism to not feel the love and to not feel the love reciprocated. And so I got in touch with the anger and, and basically I forgave my father, like went through a process within myself of forgiving my father that had nothing to do with him. I think many times yeah. we, we wait for the other person, the other parent, the other person to apologize to make amends because we're right and, and we want them to make amends. And then we're not aware that in, in waiting for another person, you are holding yourself hostage and giving away your own freedom that to truly get complete with somebody else mm. has nothing to do with the other person. 
it has everything to do with your relationship with the person within yourself. And, and so when I chose to take responsibility for myself and my life and how I felt, I realized I love my dad and he is what he is. And I, and I, I basically, I just forgave my father. I just truly forgave him. And so much love was present for this man. We never spoke. I didn't talk to him. We didn't speak. We didn't hash anything out. A week later, hmm. this guy, my father, calls me up. Hadn't called you, right? He hasn't called you in forever. Two, two and a half years. More than wow. two years. Out of the blue. My dad is dead to me. Dead to me. Okay. Yeah. And uh, basically, I told myself I don't have a dad. And wow. I finally forgave him. And I didn't yeah. tell him I forgave him, but I really felt love for him. Calls me up. Now, my dad is not someone who humbles himself to, like, call you. And, and he said, son, I don't know why, but I think we, we need to, to talk. And, you know, I'm on the phone with tears because he doesn't know that I've forgiven him. And I said, I think we do. And that began the healing process with my father, the opening that then went on for many, 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 many years. And uh, last year, uh, November the 13th, he passed away. And the last five years of his life, after my mother passed away, uh, my mother passed away in 2016. Spoke about it in my in my in my book. Yeah. And when she passed away, I was very close to my mother. When she passed away, I spoke to my mother, her spirit, and I said, because she was 10 years younger than my father, and I said, "Why wow. why did you die earlier? Like, yeah. what's the deal?" And she said to me, "I felt like she was saying to me, I died." And, and at this point, my father and I were we were pretty good. You know, I didn't feel animosity. We weren't super close, but but I didn't feel that I had too much to forgive. We were just Okay. And, and, and she said to me in this sort of meditative state, I died in order to gift you a deeper healing and karmic clearing with your father, a deeper relationship with your father. Wow. So when my mother died, I knew what I had to do. I decided that I would resolve the karma, the generational patterns between my father and I. And I decided I was going to love this man, like no matter what, whether he called me, whether he didn't call me, whether like I was just going to drop everything about everything about everything. And I was just going to like, if I loved him, I was just going to fucking love him and just be with him. And, and, and I decided to call him every day as a spiritual practice, as a devotion to if I love him, then let me love him. Doesn't matter what he does, it's about whether I express the love or not. And so I called him every day for five years and we just said hello. We just checked in. I just checked in. I just loved him with no agenda, no attachment. And the level of healing that happened for him and the level of healing that happened for me and the healing between our bond was so profound that, you know, after a couple of years, I think he. He never experienced this before. And for the first time, he just you know, would say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And, and I wasn't looking for it, but it happened. And there was so much healing that happened. So what was amazing was when he passed, even before he passed, I was already in such peace with him. And so I think if anyone is wondering, is it worth it? If anyone is wondering or they have, you have stuff with your parents, just know that you can heal. Healing can happen. Uh, forgiveness can happen. 
but it's not about the other person. It's about you. And I think when we heal the generational patterns with our parents, we don't just heal with them, but we heal for generations to come. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Uh, can I ask, were you there with him when he passed or were you here? I wasn't there. I was, um, it's funny in October, I got a strong intuition to, to go see him. I was maybe going to go see him, but I thought oh, I'll go see him at Christmas time. Uh, but I got a strong sense, go see him. And I went at the beginning of, of October to go and see my father. So it was weeks and, before. Yeah. And yeah. And that was when I just got to be with him and, uh, and I was going three times a year, but, but I just got to sit with him as I always do and, uh, and just be. And, and so, yeah, I got to see him a few weeks before. And, and by the time he crossed over, I kind of knew it was going to happen. So, so I, I was pretty much at peace. I love it. Wow, man. That's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. And I want to be respectful of your time. I want you to talk about where people can find you and everything. But one topic from the book that I thought was really, really well done, and it's a big topic, and I hear a lot of people asking about it, is the topic of purpose. I think it was the fifth or sixth chapter in the book. You get into purpose, right? And I love how you put out there. It's distilled down in the best way. Grow and evolve. Purpose is to grow and evolve, right? It, it. It just... it it felt refreshing to me. You know, it was like, huh, like I've defined my purpose to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. Right. Like, and I feel like that's a great, like I can remember it. It's like a motto, right. It's probably a lot of ego behind it, you know, like all of that. <laughs> but when it's, when I read to grow and evolve, like just let's start there. And then you get into developing yeah, purpose yeah, a bit as yeah. you go through, but I love your point about, you don't find it. It just is. And it starts with growing and evolving. Just if you could, can you spend a couple, like, I think this topic, I don't even know that there's a question specific to next steps or whatever, but as I mentioned that to you, what yeah. comes up for you on the topic of purpose? If you could just spend, rip a couple of minutes on this. Yeah, the, 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 so pur- the purpose of your life, like, like, again, the ego, the ego, what we perceive ourselves to be wants to seek and seek and <laughs> seek and seek and not find. So the ego loves trying to find its purpose because seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking is part of how the ego reinforces its existence. And the ego is afraid to find because when it finds, it's like, well, now what? And and so it's afraid to find because in finding, it's afraid I won't exist anymore. So it's constantly seeking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And one of the ways the ego hides is in the seeking for its purpose. Yeah. Because in the seeking for its purpose, you miss the very purpose that is here right now. You miss the very moment that's here right now. So in a sense, your your purpose is now. Your purpose is this moment. Your purpose is right here, right now, wherever you are, Mm -hmm. doing whatever you're doing. And so on that spiritual level of purpose, we are souls. We are souls that we incarnate into the human body and experience. And to me, life is the school, the university for our soul's growth and evolution. And every experience, every situation, every every relationship, everything we go through is part of the lesson and the learning and the curriculum for our souls to grow. Our parents, our teachers, our spouses, our children, our enemies, our bosses, our employees. Everything and everything we go through is really the 
lesson teacher learning and curriculum for your soul's growth and evolution. And so when you start seeing life more, less from a one dimensional level, achieve, failure, get, do, have to a soulistic, a cellular through the lens of the soul, a deeper multi-dimensional understanding to like, oh, I'm not just this body, but I'm a soul. I'm a soul and I'm this body. And there's the gold line and there's the soul line. And I think when you can see life from this sort of multiple dimensions, life takes on a whole different relationship. And so then you start understanding that if life, if, if I'm a soul and I incarnate, why? To learn, to grow, to evolve. And life is a school. Then the real purpose of life is learning the lessons in evolution. And learning the lessons where you are with who you're with, regardless of whatever it is that you're doing. So your purpose isn't necessarily what you do. You can be doing anything and living your purpose. So long as you are learning the lessons for why you have attracted that situation, for why you've attracted that person, for why you've attracted that experience, for why you've attracted that lesson. So in any situation, you can be living the highest purpose for your incarnation just by asking yourself, why have I attracted this situation? What is my soul seeking to learn? And all lessons are repeated until learned. And so if you don't learn the lesson, you'll just attract another relationship, another dynamic, another situation, another boss with the same dynamic over and over again, which is why we often say, why am I going through the same thing over and over again? Because we haven't learned the lesson. And so I think when we learn the lesson, that's when we transcend the experience and open to another possibility of experience in terms of what we can manifest. One of the, I think one of the reasons people don't manifest the next level in their life is they haven't learned the lessons where they are with who they're with. And, and and when you, and so this is part of surrender. Many times when we don't manifest, we try to force even more rather than saying, wait a second, if I'm stuck, maybe there's a lesson I need to learn where I'm at. Right, and maybe right, I need right. to learn this lesson here first. And as I learn it, then you open the, 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 the lock to the next level of manifestation and things start unfolding at the same time. So, so sometimes it can be, even in a difficult situation, surrender doesn't mean you wallow and lie there and just let yourself, you know, take it. But it does mean you stop resisting and you and you surrender to the lesson in the difficult situation, which can transform your relationship with the situation, just like going to the gym, where if you understand the purpose of the gym, you don't go to the gym to just sort of lounge around and sit there, smoke a cigar. You go to the gym to pump those weights. And then when it gets painful and the trainer says, you know, lift for another two more minutes and you're shaking and it's painful because you understand the purpose, mm -hmm. because you understand the real purpose of your workout, even that pain takes on a different sort of relationship, a different understanding. You relate to it differently. And so I think when we can understand the deeper purpose of life, then certain experiences that were challenging still might be challenging, but we have a different relationship to them. Coot Blackson, man. Magic of surrender, finding the courage to let go. Where can people learn more about you, the book, oh, all of you. this stuff? Yeah, I hope people get the book, man. Uh, the book it's is great. 
This Honestly. was not the book I wanted to write. <laughs> this was not the book I thought I was going to write. Yeah. But it was the I had to surrender to the book that was seeking. To there's be there's your heart in it too. I you yeah. thanks for sending me the advanced copy. I got it a couple months ago and I read through it on PDF and. Uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, it's hard not to share. I'm not going to share it, obviously, because you're going yeah. to sell the book. But yeah. it's a really, really heartfelt, well-written outline of all of what we talk and and so much more. We got an hour of what you were talking about. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Where can we find yeah, it? Where I hope people can get the book, <laughs> get the paperback on Amazon. Check it out. It's super easy to read in a few hours. So check it out there. If people want to find out more about my work in general, they can go to Coot, K-U-T-E, Coot Blackson dot com b-l-a-c-k-s-o-n uh all of my my contents there videos are there my podcast soul talk if people are super inspired by the conversation and maybe you feel a calling to transform and uncondition yourself uh twice a year i do an event in bali uh, this is my last year doing this particular event it's nice. one of the favorite things i've ever done uh, i've done 20 of these events in 10 years it's called boundless bliss it's 12 days immersion experiential seminar training without walls uh people can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com that's boundlessblissbali.com why the last year i have to ask um everything has a cycle you know okay. and i've done i've done 20 of these events yeah and they're super intense and they're super wild and 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 and, and uh, they're like ultra marathons spiritual ultra marathons and so after 20 events I felt like the next level was calling me. Another level was calling me. I mean, there's many other things I do now, but but I felt like in terms of this experience, another another expression was calling me. And so this is this is the last year, the last two. Love it, man. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate you opening up and just giving so much on this, man. I feel like we just started to scratch the surface. But <laughs> Thank you. With that, man, I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, Great hope to keep in touch. Thank you.